Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. You've heard this advice over and over, show, don't tell. But does that mean we never tell? What's the difference between good telling and bad telling? And how can you move effectively between showing and telling? All that and more in today's episode of Writer Unleashed. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Show Don't Tell is one of the most common mantras we write to. And while it's excellent advice, it doesn't mean we never tell. There's good telling and there's bad telling. There's also good showing and bad showing. You don't do one or the other arbitrarily. Now, I'll admit I'm quick to tell you to write more scenes, to dramatize rather than summarize, to be ruthless about cutting exposition, to reduce and even omit backstory. I get annoyed when I'm told a character feels sad or angry, but then I never see him acting that way. But that doesn't mean we should never tell. Sometimes telling allows us to make connections between what's happening and how the character is interpreting those events. Now, back in episode four, we talked about horizontal plots and vertical plots. The horizontal plot is what happens, the external events. And the vertical plot is the internal journey, the character's reaction to what's happening. And both of these plots intersect. So there is an interesting interplay with showing and telling. So first, let's talk about showing. Why show? Well, nothing frustrates your readers more than being told about your story or about your character. You can spend a whole page telling us your character's father is the neighborhood loan shark, or you can give us a scene showing Dad, after picking Tommy up from Little League, pulling over into a vacant parking lot to scoop up his bag of loot from the owner of the Blue Bay Diner. The reader will crave the latter because it invites him into the character's world. It allows him to come to his own conclusions rather than have the writer make those conclusions for him. Readers actually don't enjoy being spoon-fed. Showing leaves room for interpretation, for the reader to collaborate with what's on the page. Consider this. Tommy's father pulled off Northern Boulevard into the diner's back lot, 
guiding the car to the side of the dumpster. Big Al was already standing outside, smoking a cigarette, his other hand fisted close to his hip. As my father rolled down his window, Al walked towards us, flicking his cigarette into the dark. My father held his hand out the window, humming along to Frankie Valley's Our Day Will Come playing on the tape deck. With no more than the slightest nod, Big Al slipped a thick roll of bills into my father's hand and, without skipping a beat, walked back towards his kitchen. My father stashed the bills inside his glove compartment, eased his foot off the brake, and glided the car out of the lot, picking up speed once we were back on the boulevard, anonymous in the steady pre-dinner time traffic. Okay, so this tells us all we need to intuit about Tommy's father. We don't need to know exactly what's happening yet. We just know he's up to no good. And we trust that as this story unfolds and in due time, more details will be parsed out. Note too that we get a sense of the time period that this scene is taking place. There's a tape deck in the car playing Frankie Valley. So at its worst, telling conveys the facts. My father worked as the local loan shark reads more like a synopsis than a story, and it reduces the prose to its least interpretive level. It short-circuits the reader's ability and desire to experience it. It's better to convey Tommy's experience by altering sentence pace and rhythm or showing the way he perceives his environment in that moment. The scene is, is filtered through Tommy's point of view. It's shown rather than told. So showing allows your reader to participate, to collaborate with your prose, to experience it firsthand. We all have a natural instinct to fill in patterns, to make associations, to fill in what's not said, what's not told. That's one of the thrills of reading. We get to participate in your story. So why tell? Well, as long as it's done right, telling serves some very essential story purposes. Telling allows you to reveal a character's thoughts, use flashback and exposition to shed light on the present, compress years where nothing significant happens, give us deeper insight into a character's past, deepen the theme and reveal the inner life of your character, And it can give us essential background information, providing a a sense of a wider life around the characters and the story. Carolyn Marazzo, in her essay, Show and Tell, there's a reason it's called storytelling, has this to say. The wise writer is not afraid to tell. Writers blend telling and showing. When the writer depends solely on showing and neglects the narrative that artfully shapes, characterizes, qualifies, or in some other way informs the character's actions, the reader is abandoned to extrapolate meaning based on what is observed. For example, a character's sweating palms or nervous twitch. And the reader then, rather than the writer, creates the story. Now, I don't totally agree with that last part of her statement, that the reader is abandoned to extrapolate meaning based on what's observed. As long as it's done right, I don't mind filling in what's not told. I enjoy collaborating with what's on the page and reaching my own conclusions. Hemingway's stories, for instance, um, tell us very little. In The Short Happy Life of Francis McComer, 
We intuit the emotional rift between Francis and his wife by the way they don't talk to one another, the way they don't look at one another. We see through gestures, body language, dialogue, and silences, and I love stories that allow me to fill in the subtext. But I do agree with her assertion that the interplay between showing and telling is often crucial to transformative moments in a story. For example, telling is used masterfully in Amy Hempel's story in the cemetery where Al Jolson is buried. And in the story, the first person narrator is visiting a dying friend in the hospital. Now, here's the version without the telling, with only the showing. I have to go home, I said when she woke up. She thought I meant home to her house in the canyon, and I had to say no, home, home. And here is the passage with the telling. I have to go home, I said when she woke up. She thought I meant home to her house in the canyon, and I had to say no, home, home. I twisted my hands in the time-honored fashion of people in pain. I was supposed to offer something, the best friend, I could not even offer to come back. I felt weak and small and failed. Also exhilarated. Okay, so Hempel's narrator tells us how she feels, conflicted. She feels like a failure. She feels like a subpar friend. But she also feels exhilarated. And this is what I often tell you guys not to do. I often say, don't tell us how your character feels. Show it. But here, it serves a valuable purpose. If we take out the telling, we're deprived of that moment of self-awareness, which makes the story so heartbreaking. We can also have the telling woven into the forward-moving action, so we can blend the telling and the showing. And here's a great example that gives the balance of the complementary interplay between showing and telling. Um, And it shows the transforming emotional movements. And this is an excerpt from Richard Yates' novel, Revolutionary Road. So in this excerpt, Frank is driving his babysitter home after having had a huge knockdown fight with his wife, April. Frank took two wrong turns in driving Mrs. Lindquist home. Mrs. Lindquist, lurching against the door and dashboard, tried to cover her fear by smiling fixedly in the darkness. She thought he was drunk. And all the way back, alone, he rode with one hand pressed to his mouth. He was doing his best to reconstruct the quarrel in his mind, but it was hopeless. He couldn't even tell whether he was angry or contrite, whether it was forgiveness he wanted or the power to forgive. His throat was still raw from shouting, and his hand still throbbed from hitting the car. He remembered that part well enough, but his only other memory was of the high-shouldered way she had stood in the curtain call with that false, vulnerable smile, and this made him weak with remorse. Of all the nights to have a fight, he had to hold the wheel tight in both hands because the road lights were blurring and swimming in his eyes. The house was dark, and the sight of it as he drove up a long, milky shape in the greater darkness of trees and sky made him think of death. He padded quickly through the kitchen and living room and went down the hall on careful tiptoe past the children's room and into the bedroom, where he softly shut the door behind him. April, listen, he whispered. 
Stripping off his coat, he went to the dim bed and sat slumped on it on its edge in a classic pose of contrition. Please listen. I won't touch you. I just want to say I'm... There isn't anything to say except I'm sorry. This was going to be a bad one. It was going to be the kind that went on for days, but at least they were here, alone and quiet in their own room. Instead of shouting on the highway, at least the thing had passed into its second phase now, the long, quiet aftermath that always before, however implausibly, had led to reconciliation. She wouldn't run away from him now, nor was there any chance of his boiling into a rage again. They were both too tired. Early in his marriage, these numb periods had seemed even worse than the humiliating noise that had set them off. Each time, he would think, there can't be any dignified way out of it this time. So the telling not only heightens the moment, but reveals the transformation within Frank. He moves from a state of anger, so head-spinning that the babysitter thinks he's drunk, to confusion. He couldn't tell whether he was angry or contrite, whether it was forgiveness he wanted or the power to forgive. And then he moves to one of contrition and then resignation and then finally hopelessness. So he moves through this whole range of of emotions and, and levels of awareness So if you think of the telling as character thought, which by the way is action, character thought, he's thinking about what's happening in lines like this. Greater darkness of the greater darkness of trees and sky made him think of death and of all the nights to fight. And this was going to be a bad one. It was going to be the kind that went on for days, but at least they were here, alone and quiet in their own room. Instead of shouting on the highway, at least the thing had passed into its second phase now, the long, quiet aftermath that always before, however implausibly, had led to reconciliation. He's also reflecting on the past, as in lines like this. Early in his marriage, these numb periods had seemed even worse than the humiliating noise that set them off. Each time, he would think, there can't be any dignified way out of out of it this time. So he's feeding us some history of their relationship that reaches back in time. And he's also projecting into the future. So he's doing a bit of a time loop here through his thought. He's reminding us what happened earlier in the scene before And he's thinking about the now. He's thinking about the implications. So there's this beautiful interplay of telling and showing. So show, don't tell, while a great piece of advice is not always the best advice. Of course, striking the balance between showing and telling depends on what kind of writer you are. And it also depends on the needs of your story. Sometimes it's better to show and sometimes it's better to tell. You don't do one or the other arbitrarily. And knowing this, knowing how to strike that balance does take practice. But when you get really good at this, you'll slide between both elements fluidly and the seams won't show. So here's a two-part exercise for you. First, choose one scene from one of your favorite stories or, or novels a scene in which you think the transforming moment is effectively rendered. So there's a shift in the character's self-awareness. 
underline the telling portions of that moment. Now, read the passage without the underlined portions, the telling portions. Then ask yourself, what is lost without the telling? Second, turn to a story you're working on, a draft of your own in which you think the transforming moment is not yet effectively rendered. Underline the telling portions of that moment. Now, if you have no telling, add some, but try to balance the showing and telling to their best combined effect. If it feels impossible for you to tell anything, then you might not know your characters well or know what the story is about yet, and that's okay. This will help you get there. The objective of of this exercise is to be able to both show and tell, to experiment with different combinations of showing and telling, to enhance your writing technique, and to illuminate the final meaning of your story. So keep writing, and I will see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. A shout out to all new listeners. If you haven't subscribed yet, come on board. I come to you jam-packed with writing tips and techniques once a week. Make sure you've subscribed if you haven't done so yet. And for more writing resources, visit me at nancypinuccio.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.